0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and thank you for tuning in today. And I know a lot of you, at least a lot of the PTs out there listening, are always asking for more things about business and career and development and things like that because we don't get a lot of that stuff in school, and I don't think there's a lot of continuing education stuff uh, focusing on that in the PT world. So I've been trying to get more and more shows and and more and more great people to interview to help you all out. And today is no exception. I'm very happy to have on the show, Dr. Thomas Tevantis. He is the founder and CEO of Innovative Management Development, the acclaimed author of Hardwired, Taking the Road to Delphi and Uncovering Your Talents. He Uh, He is also an adjunct professor with St. Joseph University's Organizational and Development Leadership Graduate Program, and one of his, I'm just sort of going to do a little quote here, but... Uh, One of his quotes is he believes deeply in the power within each of us to harness our natural abilities as well as develop our own career and life vision that we can live lives that are satisfying and helpful to others, to ourselves and others. So Dr. Tevantis, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for joining us and welcome.
1: Well, thank you, Karen. That was a great introduction. And uh, my um, personal experience with physical therapists have Mm -hmm. always been very positive and actually it connects to exactly the topic because there was a, a, a woman, she was still in graduate school, and I was just s- seeing her. She was my physical therapist under supervision with a senior person, and we got talking about her career and what was she, she going to do when she graduated. And it was great that she had various hands-on. She was graduating from Temple University. She, great she had hands-on experiences in different areas, so she knew what she didn't want but in terms of a specialization, she really hadn't decided what she wanted. But I think the bigger picture, which connects to what uh, I guess I offer, is to look beyond just the specialization and trying to figure out, not set in stone, but try to figure out a vision for what's important in the long haul, which includes your career and personal side.
0: well, I'm first of all, thank, I'm glad that you had a good experience in physical therapy that always many, makes me many happy. Many good experiences. Excellent. <laughs> that always makes me happy, you know? So let's talk, before we get started into the bulk sure. of the interview, let's talk a little bit more about your background and more about innovative management development. So okay. can you tell the listeners a little bit more about your background?
1: I grew up in Greece and uh, studied initially in Greece. And um, there I had the fortunate experience of working with the psychologist and psychiatrist team who had been trained at the University of Chicago. And they taught me about the importance of focusing on strengths rather than the typical focus on pathology that psychologists and psychiatrists have had for ages. And that really was the beginning of this current work, really. It's back in the early 70s. And the focus of the company has always been to try to work with organizations or work with individuals. Uh, Or my teaching at St. Joe's, it's about getting people to look at and understand what their strengths are. So I've worked with uh, large pharmaceutical companies, smaller companies, individuals who are in uh, career transition, and college students and graduate students. The goal, and then, you know, being able to do this in some sort of um, semi, not a not hard science way, but a reasonably scientific approach to uh, to evaluating or assessing talents is kind of core to to my approach. It's not just, let's think about, most people think that they know what their strengths are, but more often than not, they don't. Mm. They know what they're not good at, and even there, they can be wrong about that too.
0: Yeah, very true. And that kind of leads into my next question is, what are natural abilities and how are they measured?
1: Well, we there are lots of natural abilities and we think that they're hardwired in us. Either they're, uh, We know that they're set and unchanging by approximately the age of 14 or 15. You can develop skills after that and whether these are genetic or whether they're a result of the interaction of the family environment, it's kind of mixed. But over the last, I guess, 70 years, uh, there has been, uh, we have been able to reliably assess a core set of natural abilities. And we do that through something called a work sample. Okay. A work sample is, you know, most everybody in the world have taken the Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. The Myers-Briggs is a kind of measurement that uses self-report. You vote for how you think you are. Well, The reliability and validity of that, especially the validity, is not particularly high. It's not connected to really what you do or how you do something. A work sample in psychology is considered kind of the gold standard. So that would be you give them a measure that has somehow been uh, broken out from other measures that is able to measure a specific cognitive trait. And based on whether you can do that quickly and easily or not really reveals the ability. And if you think about physical therapists use that kind of approach when they, you know, ask someone to come in who's got pain in their Achilles tendon like I did and ask them to walk across the room, they're doing it as a work sample. They're basing it. Now they don't have maybe the numbers but they're certainly asking, they're not just asking them how they feel. They're asking them to do something,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's the same thing with abilities. and And we measure pretty reliably twenty three different kind of abilities. To me, the the, more, the most intriguing ones are about how you problem solve, and how you think. Um, what, you know, when you face with a problem, what goes on in your head? Mm. Are you someone who quickly jumps to a conclusion, almost seemingly intuitively coming to a solution? Or are you someone who wants to work more uh, um, analytically, step-by-step, step, methodically? For instance, engineers, for the most part, not 100% of them, but certainly a 9 out of 10 engineers are going to have high analytic skills. Well, that's pretty, we can measure that. I mean, I work with a lot of engineers, and it's that's one of their abilities. They think methodically, step-by-step, And very differently, how other people who have a different kind of set of abilities would make decisions and think things through. Another one uh, would be idea productivity, it's called. And this has been around and reliably measured for years. How many ideas at any given moment are going through your head? Now, some people have a literal brainstorm going on in their head and it's like a popcorn popper reaching the heat moment when everything's popping. And they are great in roles where they can brainstorm, where they can market, where they can convince people and overcome resistance by coming up with alternatives. On the other side of the spectrum, and all these are uh, continuums,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: kind of think about the normal bell-shaped curve. High idea productivity would be in that last two standard deviations, most people are in the middle, Mm -hmm. and then you have people who are low idea productivity. And it's not that they don't have ideas, it's just that they need more time to come up with them. So they need to shift to focus on roles that more about quality and follow through rather than being distracted internally by lots of ideas. So here's a question for you. If you had to do some sort of surgery, let's say brain surgery, who would you rather have doing brain surgery on you, someone who has high idea productivity or someone who has low idea productivity?
0: I would think maybe someone who has high idea, so if something goes wrong, they can always, <laughs> if something goes wrong during the surgery, there's another idea, backup, so if, if they need to think quickly on their feet, they can do it.
1: That's a good one, That yes. On the whole other hand, think about this. Do you want someone trying a new technique on you just because the spur of the moment they have a nice idea? No. I'd rather have someone who's yeah does, this, does the thing and, and just sticks to it and doesn't necessarily get distracted by what's going on in mm-hmm. their head.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You want your accountant to be reasonably low. Uh, otherwise, you end up going to jail because he might be <laughs> over the creator. Right. Right, right, right. So, and and then we look at learning learning channels. How easily and how quickly do you learn new things? Not it's not a question of whether you can learn or not. It's a question of what's your quickest way of taking least stressful way of taking in new information.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is it through reading? Is it through looking at pictures? Like a lot of physicians, one of the or, and engineers, one of the things that gets them into the field that helps is their ability to remember design, uh, x-rays, charts, to learn things that through three dimensions. Mm-hmm. Physicians are typically people who have high verbal memory or the ability to remember what they read. We don't know whether they understood what they read but they remember it. That's mm-hmm. yes, because in the first year of medical school you have to learn about 30,000 new words.
2: Sure.
1: Typically they have high verbal memory. The ability to remember what they read comes up easily. Tonal memory are people you, you might know. People who can remember conversations they had months ago with a client, and they can build that rapport because they can say to the client, "Oh yeah, how are you? How's your sister doing?" Or from the last time we talked, mm-hmm. and usually people are kind of taken aback and saying, "How did that person remember that?" And then there's people who learn through doing, and now I, I, you know th- that's hands-on learning, kinesthetic learning. So. We can measure that pretty reliably and with uh, considerable validity. And good.
0: Oh, no. So um, it's kind of like, I know I personally always say I always learn so much better when I can read it. Like I'm, I'm someone who if I read something, I remember it. And then having that backup of being able to see it at the okay. same time. You know, I kind of combine the two. Um, because, for instance, I know when I was taking a language class, I was trying to learn how to speak Italian. And the school that I was taking classes at, the one instructor would never give us the sheet that had all of the translations on it. She would always speak first and I would never remember anything she said because I really needed to see it written down. And once I saw it written down, I was like, okay, now I kind of get it. But I had a hard time just learning from her speaking.
1: the, the, The gift of having, I mean, if there's five learning channels we measure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Some people have all five of them high. Mm-hmm. And for them, learning new things, they're like a sponge. And and that's one of the reasons they, they find work can be boring for them. Because, okay, I need something new here now because I learned so quickly. And that's also a marketing, um, self-marketing piece that we teach people is how do you let other people know around you what you can deliver based on some something that's that's real in terms of data. Mm-hmm. So you might have high uh, verbal memory and, and high tone memory, which is reading it, then hearing it, but you could also have high rhythm memory. And then there's um, some people have this tremendous facility for remembering all kinds of numbers. You know, miscellaneous, they can remember, some people can remember when they worked as stock boys in the stores when they were kids, and now it's 40 years later, but they still recall those numbers. That would be high number memory. Great for medical work because mm-hmm. you need to learn all kinds of acronyms and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're low in this, like I am, well, they society invents technology that supports those of us who don't have high number memory. We, right. I don't have to remember 10 phone numbers anymore. Nope. I just look on yeah. my mobile phone.
0: That's right. That's so right.
1: It's a way to compensate.
0: Got it. And now, you know, taking all these natural abilities, um, let's go on to, so we're going to come back to that, but let's go on to um, factors that go into a career vision. And actually, what, in, in, what is your definition of a career vision if you're working with someone? And what are the eight factors that go into it?
1: Well, I think ultimately, I'm actually starting a, a graduate cl- class tonight at St. Joe's. It's a summer, summer one I usually teach it. It's for adults and basically it's an attempt to articulate based on data that you gather in some way where you're headed with your career and your life. It's an articulated statement that is based on putting together, integrating these eight factors. The eight factors are where are you in your career today. You know, what's been the pathway that's gotten you here? What have been some of the turning points? What have some been the building stages? What have you enjoyed? What have you been mm-hmm. satisfied with? What are your abilities? Uh, third is skills. What skills have you learned today? How do the skills compensate for low abilities or, accept or extend high abilities? So that's your training and your education. Mm-hmm. And people oftentimes forget about all the skills they had. So part of this is we're getting, it's all really, experience. it's not a lecture. It's, it's mostly um, experiments, activities that people are doing and individually or in groups. Then we do, uh, we look at interests and passions. What is exciting in your life? When you walk down the street, what is it that captures your attention? Where do you feel like you lose track of time? What thing do you do? So I'm looking up in your wall here, and are those photographs you've taken? Um,
0: Two of them are, my niece and my nephew, but otherwise, no. They're photographs or they're prints that I've gotten and and things like that.
1: So what are your passions? Well, it it could be a number of things, but we ask people to do an exercise. It's a lot of fun. If you remember when you were a child, perhaps uh, you did show and tell? Sure. In school? Well, this is a big show and tell for adults. We ask you to bring in things that you were passionate Mm -hmm. about and and talk about them. Actual physical objects we want you to bring in. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at passions. We're connecting that because that's a source of creativity and we're connecting that to your abilities also. And they may or may not be connected Mm -hmm. to your abilities. Uh, Then we're looking at uh, your family of origin. What, over the last three generations, and this is an interesting exercise that I think many people who do it find this one really kind of a breakthrough because they're looking at the last three generations, not for the family dysfunction, which we all anticipate, you know, we all have it in our families, but really more what have been the pathways that people have taken to work? What do they deal with stress? What, what have they done in terms of leadership roles? Whether they're in the house, out of the house, doesn't matter. So we're asking them to go back and interview people. Find out about your family three generations. What are the patterns that you see? And then, again, we're seeing some ability patterns then come out as people talk about it. We're seeing some passions. And we're seeing where some threads make sense in terms of choices that you've currently made. Even though you may not be in the same profession, there's a lot of similarities going on. <coughs> Excuse me. And then we're looking at personal style. What kind of environment pulls you? What brings out the best in you? Is it more? This is where we use a traditional thing like extrovert, introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of environments bring out the best in you? you know, is it one where you're dealing mostly with objects, or is it one where you're dealing with? People, for the most part, where there's exchange and ideas and and this sense of groupness that you're looking for. And values is another one. Um, Values in terms of what drives you into the future. Some of the values, obviously, are family of origin values and those you bring with you. But what values have you also created or extended Mm -hmm. upon? And how important do they play in your life? Then lastly, what are your short and long term goals? So we spend uh, a a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. um, gathering this data. And then we ask people to begin to integrate the data. And that's a group experience. It's not done individually. It's a group experience because everyone has kind of gone on the same journey. And now they're going to brainstorm about future careers, pathways, roles for you. And we generate a brainstorming session, which is pretty exhilarating in terms of people and hearing things that they may not have thought of. We just did one. I did one at this company I'm consulting with, and this guy is an engineer. everybody's in his family is engineers, and all of a sudden someone said, boy, you would make a great, and apropos of this conversation, you'd make a great sports um, management, sports therapist, sports. And he said, I never Never even crossed his Mm -hmm. radar. And he's young enough, Was he was looking for maybe this is not what I need to be doing. Mm -hmm. Because he has so many talents. So integrating it and then creating some sort of vision, statement for yourself, and then spend time. The hard part is really going out and testing it. Going out and interviewing people who are in roles that you would like to see yourself in. Mm. And shaping that vision. So then you can look at what comes up. It's really teaching people a process for looking at what comes up in their life so they have some criteria to make decisions against rather than being stuck in the stress cycle of the promotion, the status, and just being able that rat race feeling of keep going around circles.
0: Right. So it sounds like, you know, all of those eight factors and getting that career vision is just a really great way to kind of ground yourself and connect with yourself and where you can be of greatest help I guess to to well, yourself and to the people around you or your family and, exactly. and so on and so forth like where you can really take your abilities and and put them into something that is hopefully going to make you happy i would think
1: well it takes a people it takes a while to make this into reality
0: yeah yeah. I mean,
1: was the, the steps, the, the plan then is some sort of action plan. Was this going to take, for many people, it takes two or three years to mm-hmm. bring about where they want to be. And, you know, there's a lot of forces against change. Sure. Uh, the family, you know, the family has a push or your once you have lots of relationships where people depend on you, the forces are usually saying, uh, keep your head down and keep going. Stay stay where you are. I don't know, if you, I was in a job, it was very secure, I just wanted to leave and try something else. Um, I went to a dinner at one of my relatives, a Greek family, mm-hmm. and all the relatives were there, and all of a sudden, at one point, the conversation turned to me leaving my secure job and moving to some unknown thing in Philadelphia. Well, there was a whole conversation about this, about basically the conversation was stay the course, keep your head down, don't make any radical changes because mm-hmm. when you start to do that, you shake everybody up around you. True. And it's not, they're not malintended, it's just that the anxiety that's provoked, uh, everybody wants to get it over with as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense, and you know a lot of that whole kind of developing those eight factors and your natural abilities, how they're measured. Um, it, you know, I think a lot of physical therapists could benefit greatly from that, but especially people physical therapists in leadership positions. So you know maybe you own a small clinic, or maybe you're the the director of a of a large. Uh, outpatient conglomerate or a hospital where you have a lot of PTs under you. So, you know, thinking, having those two things, the natural abilities and that career vision, those factors, what do good leaders need to understand about their team members to kind of make, I guess, a better team and a better working department? The,
1: the, the, The leaders that I've seen, and again, this is primarily engineering companies, pharmaceutical companies, um, uh, communication companies like a large cable company. Those are primarily have been my uh, clients. Uh, The leaders who I see who are successful, who take this information to heart, Mm -hmm. these are people who are open-minded in the first place. And they're willing and they're committed and to figuring out people's strengths. One, two, they value developing other people, not just the technical skill, but they take an interest in people's careers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so this gave them a structure to have a concrete way to have conversations about them. There was, in the, in the book, well, in an earlier book, there was an example I used from a company um, where the leader was, he was a senior VP in this pharmaceutical company, and this was a quality assurance department, all scientists. And remarkably, these people were into the quality, so they had to, they were emergency-oriented, short-term thinking. But they always lamented the fact that they were always putting out fires rather than thinking long-term about Mm -hmm. preventing them. Mm-hmm. So, as soon as they start to have a meeting about thinking long term, everybody would push for the immediate fix of something. Just the exigencies of the situation demanded it. When they did this, and we started comparing everybody in this 18 member group, 16 of the 18 were all low time frame, which means they came up on this measure as wanting to be in roles where they had to apply immediate fixes that there is this exhilaration from being presented with a problem and getting an immediate result. Mm-hmm. So three to six months usually is someone who has a slow time frame. They're very, very driven for results, but it really takes effort, time, and energy to think long term.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Long term meaning five, six, or seven years. So that dilemma was that, and then we, there was a conversation because two of the 18 people had high time frame. They could think strategically, but their voices were always silenced based on the emergency. Mm-hmm. So the leader who was very taking notes throughout this whole time, who's was an Italian uh, chemist, wonderful guy, very smart guy. He started talking about how do we include you? How do we get your voice heard? Was He saw the value of that's the way out. Mm-hmm. And was he was low time frame also, so he was in that whole emergency setting. And so that kind of shifted the dynamics. So he recognized their voice, he recognized the difference, and tried to find some way to include the difference in the uh, process of working with his team. So I think that, that's, to me, that's the probably the big, looking, you know, Peter Drucker, this uh, management guru, said it probably 40 years ago, your job is to figure out where people can make the best contribution. Mm-hmm. The truth of the matter is, though, leaders really need people who can articulate what they can provide so they can make the decision. Otherwise, I'm as a leader, I'm going to put you in a box. I see you one-dimensional.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I can't keep five things about you in my head, about your talents unless you're able to articulate to me what you can do, and not just bragging or whatever. But, nice. the, yeah, I've been in situations where I've handled crises. I'm great at coming up with ideas. It, my daughter works at a company, a small company, that makes a very fashionable resort wear, and she took this about seven years ago, and she uses it all the time because there's a short marketing phrase for her kind of, personality style, ability style, which is I can come up with ideas, lots of ideas in a short period of time Mm -hmm. and help overcome resistance uh, in other people's arguments. And then based on industry experience, that made sense to her boss. So she's getting into roles that really after only being in the company eight months, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: really are kind of unheard of, frankly.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, so it's sort of, I guess if you're in a leadership position, it's important to remember that it's a two way street. Yes. And that you have to kind of take that input from your employees or from the people that you're overseeing as well as giving your input back. Yes. But how do you as a leader develop a self-directed employee? How do you, you know, how, cause I, I feel like that's, Pretty important to the, the health and the success of, of any company.
1: Look, it, it's pretty easy for me to say, okay, yeah, you know, you bring me in, we do this battery, I'll do the program mm-hmm. I do, and, and, and that'll be your way out. Mm-hmm. But I also know that there are other ways, obviously. Um, giving, leaders are notoriously bad for the most part at giving decent feedback. Mm. And more importantly, followers are notoriously bad at hearing feedback. <laughs> so
0: Yeah, not a good combo.
1: <laughs> so it's tough to get, you know, what are your strengths? you're kind of thinking, What's the agenda here? So that's a challenge. I think many people, and this goes back to the medieval times, there were monks who would a write down over time successes they had and they try to break it down and then after two or three years and I, I you know, I didn't rediscover this, so Peter Drucker rediscovered it and he recommends it that you go and you keep this journal for a two-year time of your successes, of your failures
2: mm-hmm.
1: break, try to break it down and then you have a catalog, a database where you can draw some conclusions about your strengths. Because it's tough to get the feedback from others, and it's, it's tough to hear what we say, mm-hmm. too.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think the assessment that we use is a shortcut, and, but there, are, like I said, there are other things, too.
0: Right. And what are, so let's say, forget about how, how do you develop your employees, but how, what are the keys to developing yourself as a way to kind of navigate through your career? So let's say, you know, it, we're coming up, it's, it's the end of May, everybody's graduating from college. You have all these new, like in, in my field, all these new PTs that are ready to go out into the world and start treating patients and, and starting their careers. So how, what are the keys to developing yourself as a way to navigate that career?
1: Well, I, like, I was thinking about this woman, the, the physical therapist I started off the program talking mm-hmm. about. So she had an opportunity. She's been in different settings. But I don't think she had an opportunity to evaluate with someone who is maybe senior to her, what were the things about that setting that came out in terms of her strengths?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What were her areas of satisfaction? It's almost as if when I asked her the question... She really hadn't started comparing these together. And it might be the experiences are too close to her uh, at that point to see it. So I think that's, uh, uh, other than that, I mean, I think it's, it's hard to get that feedback. Because how do you get out of the system? Mm-hmm. I, know that, I know that down at the University of Georgia Veterinary School, they use this program with the students down there, every graduating class goes through the program down there and then I think the results of that were published like a five-year study and it was pretty successful over time in terms of their ability to uh, articulate and look at a direction for themselves
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I, I do agree that you know I, I've had people graduating who come to see me from Harvard who basically are lost they yeah. took the job they took the job that everyone else was taking which was consulting this was about seven Okay. Okay. And, you know, he was making a ton of money. He was 28 years old living in Boston. But he was unhappy. He says, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I could. My parents would like me to. But I need to find what it is that can be passionate about. So each of us are going to come to that question. I think it's a turning point in a career. You know, your first job out of school is not going to be your career for the most part. You're going to go up to this turning point. The first turning point is late 20s, early 30s, where you go into the first crisis, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: where you start saying, do I want to keep doing this for the rest of my life? And you come up, and if you get some support, you can start thinking about that and not just keep your head down and keep going because, oh, yeah, you're secure, and how could you think about changing?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So I think that first crisis is the big one because before that, you, look, when you're in your 20s, you have, you feel like you have the world by the tail. I mean, there are no limitations on your powers. You mm-hmm. have lots of energy. You can do everything. So I don't know if natural abilities are going to really hit you until you've been in the workforce and then coming up to those 30s. Mm-hmm. And I see that now with physical therapists, with, with young engineers. Mm-hmm. Because they're super bright. And, you know, everything's come easy. But... That's not about satisfaction or contribution even in terms of, so.
0: Right. And you had mentioned something in there about kind of keeping your head down or your, his, this, this graduate from Harvard, his parents would really like him to keep doing that. So what do you say to people when they have sort of that pull in a couple of different directions where let's say their family really wants them to keep doing what they're doing, but they sort of know it's not really what's making them happy. But they're trying to please everyone else in their life. So, what is your advice to people when they're in though? Because I think a lot of people get into those situations.
1: I think it's uh, happens all the time. Yeah, because you're the family pushes you to keep the homeostasis, mm-hmm. to keep things in balance, not to shake up the system, and and stepping. One of the things that we kind of talk about is being able to do this outside their family, outside your system,
2: mm-hmm.
1: outside of your work unit, where you're with other people who are in a similar place but not necessarily who are connected to you or have an investment in the outcome. Mm-hmm. When I tell the class that I teach or even when I go to some of these companies, I have no investment in what you get out of this class. I'd like you to you know, have a wonderful experience but it's a question of what you're going to put in
2: mm-hmm.
1: that you're going to get something out of, but it, it's also about keeping separate from the influences of the family during that time, and it's hard. Mm-hmm. This is that's why things don't change for the yeah. most part, because the people say, "Oh yeah, no, no, I, I can do this. I can do this," and it's incredibly difficult to keep your focus on yourself. We spend more time planning our vacations than we do planning our careers. Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah. yeah. It's and easier. That's true. <laughs> and what about the fear surrounding it? You know, let's say, let's say you you have been working your your. Let's say you're a PT. You've been working in a an outpatient clinic, and and you feel like you want to go out on your own. Yeah. That's that's really hard to do. And yes. So. You know, what might be your advice to people or or your counsel to people who are saying, I really want to do this, but I'm quite frightened and it's very I, scary. And I don't, so I feel like, oh, forget it. I can't do it.
1: Yes. That's more frequent than, absolutely. oh yeah, let's do it. You yeah, know?
0: absolutely.
1: It, it's that's much, more, and, and so part of this, okay, so you're coming up with a vision, you're exploring it. And then we end up dealing in the program about, okay, what are the challenges to implementing this? Mm -hmm. What are the internal challenges? And what are the external challenges? Mm -hmm. If you're older, there is a question of time.
2: Sure.
1: Uh, There could be financial resources. I mean, that's why it's it's not something you do overnight, but you come up with a plan of how you're going to do this two years. Also, it's about creating a support system. It may have to do with you know, you're, you're with these people, you've been with all your life, and they think a certain way about you. Well, maybe it's time to introduce some new groups into your life, too,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who are going to be champions. So we're looking for people to almost create a board of directors, a board of advisors that are going to be people who test reality. This is a lot of work. Yeah, right? This is not, I'm not talking about a simple, oh, yeah, you can be anything you want yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Um, It's creating this board of advisors where people are going to challenge you or people are going to cheerlead you Mm -hmm. to move into this different direction. When that kind of support happens, it's more likely to take hold.
0: Yeah, No. and that makes a lot of sense. And I think if you, you know, sort of follow even the kind of the steps that we've gone through so far, you know, what are your natural abilities? Look at those factors that go into your career vision. Make a career vision, then think about okay, is this something that I really want to do? Then create that that board of directors, if you will. Yeah. Get a mentor. I say we say that all the time. You know, get a mentor um, because you don't know everything. It's, right? So it's good to have those people, like you said, around you to challenge you and cheerlead you and, and give you some some sound, reasonable advice and, and, and uh, knowledge.
1: You, um, I think if you can get a, a team together, support, who have divergent opinions, who mm-hmm. are willing to go out with you for lunch or go out for a cocktail afterwards three or four people who may not have a uh, any stake in the outcome you know right. they're just there to listen to support you
0: right
1: and, and that it's hard breaking out of our system i mean sure, that's sure. the thing yeah it yeah. is very difficult
0: yeah it's very difficult and i think it's something that that, uh, like you said, no one just wakes up and says, oh, I'm going to start a business today. Yeah, you know? well, I mean, maybe then, there might do. be, no, there no, might there be, might be. there people. might be, that's true, there might be. There are, I, and I know of, of a, a PT who just said, I'm going to open up a business, and he did and he's been very successful. Um, you know, I think when I decided to, to go out on my own, it took me talk about years it took me quite a few years to really feel comfortable and confident and know that I had a plan in place in order to do it because I'm a big planner you know so that the thought of just saying I'm going to quit my job and start my own business would probably like send me racing to the hospital with some sort (laughs) of like a heart attack or something you know like I am not that relaxed about things so for me I needed that longer term plan and and I needed those people around me as well to help
1: yeah well good I think most most of us do I mean you know, and I think that is what basically I geared this to is that most people and there's an extraordinary few who know from birth what they want to do when they grow up, but mm-hmm. most of us, if you talk to people, they end up doing what they do out of luck, yeah they happen to be and there's a certain luck factor, quite no question about it, but that yeah. that's um we, trying to couple chance and being prepared right. is the two things. Right. And so it's also teaching people about self-marketing. Mm. It's not just having the long plan, but it's also having the short plan. Being able to tell stories of success about yourself. Yeah. To be able to communicate your strengths in a short, um, kind of bulleted fashion for, to someone in sixty seconds.
0: The elevator speech, so to speak.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. The elevator speech, and you know, here's another kind of question to piggyback on top of that, and and it's a lot of people don't, perhaps they don't know, or maybe they cannot articulate their strengths or weaknesses as well as yeah. they think they can, and why do you think that is?
1: Well, they have no, they don't understand what the strengths are. Most people say, "I'm a good people person." Right. Uh, yeah okay what the heck does that mean under what circumstances <laughs>
2: that's a good point
1: you know yeah. okay under 10 circumstances with many people yeah I mean. so mm. uh, after a couple of weeks in any of the workshops you're doing I can't I, people aren't allowed to say that because if you can't say more than that mm-hmm. you got to go back to step one and, right. and kinda rethink this because there's more everyone has strengths. Everyone has talents. Mm -hmm. The question is, how can, well, do you articulate those? So you said here, like you said, okay, so you have your strength, probably high concept organization, analytical, methodical, Mm -hmm. step-by-step, wanting to have a plan, that's that's reasonable support for that. Then you have high verbal memory, the reading, and the high tonal memory, I think you said. Mm And so this is engaging and rapport building in terms of clients, Mm -hmm. being able to remember what they said when they talked about their symptoms or they talked about, you can remember that stuff. Yeah, that's true. And that's a strain. So there's three. Now, do I, can I say that 100%? Probably not, just because it, we, don't, we don't really have any results on you. Right, right. But those are my hypotheses that you can create about other people too and, and use them until the, you're proven wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, no, I think that stuff is so interesting. Um, let's talk before we have a, a couple more minutes here, but I just want to talk a little bit um, about the book Oh. So, hardwire taking the road to Delphi and covering your talents. So, uh where can people get the book number 1 and what if you can give us a elevator speech on the book, sort of what what can people expect to to discover from the book?
1: Well, obviously I have a hard time doing the elevator speech because that is the longest subtitle in history. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I had to put something about being Greek on the cover, I uh-huh, felt. So. Sure. <laughs> but um, the book's available at Amazon and, or my website, which is imdleadership.com. Okay. And basically, I decided to – there's a previous book that we had done called Don't Waste Your Talent, which takes you through the eight factors.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this one was more for uh, – almost a professional audience, more coaches and counselors and mental health people and mm-hmm. a variety of folks to get them inside of what it's like to go over the results with people when they get them. Over the, eight, over the course of, uh, there's case studies from uh, high school students to people in their 50s thinking about career changes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and you kind of start, the excitement that I felt which is why I did it, not for any other reason, was that you get people looking at themselves and getting excited about their possibilities and you're having some concrete information that you can give them. Most people know their abilities. I don't assume that they don't. What this does is validates the feelings and thoughts and the vague feedbacks you may have gotten. It kind of puts a number and a word on it to help you kind of say, oh, yeah, I am strong in this, rather than, "Yeah, I guess so, but I don't know relative to how many people.
0: Got it.
1: You know, am I in the top 10% on this one? Because we're looking at percentiles, Mm -hmm. so you really do get a handle on, oh, you're an extreme on this high idea of productivity. Well, you know, that is, when I walk into a room, I know that. Mm-hmm. There might be one or two other people who are like me, but for the most part, it's not going to be there. So that's how I can contribute. Which, cool. I mean, that's one way that I can be helpful. So the book is, uh, you know, it it's took a long time to write. Uh, writing is, I mean, I'm obviously not high. You know, <laughs> okay? So writing is, you have to be high in a number of things and low in some other ones. Uh-huh. And that's not my profile. So. Writing is a struggle, but I wanted to I wanted to get this out um, just for the reason that I think people need to know what can they can understand better what goes on
2: mm-hmm.
1: without buying the battery, which can be expensive. It is, it's easier to read about and then make an informed decision.
0: Right, right. Well. Thank you so much, and unfortunately, we've kind of run out of time, but I could talk about this stuff all day, um, (laughs) because I think it's really fascinating. So, um, if you can, one more time, just tell everyone uh, your website, and is that the best way to get in touch with you, if anyone has any questions?
1: Sure. The the, um, IMD, I-M for management, D, development, um, leadership.com. com.
0: Okay. And is there a way to get in touch with you on there if people had questions? Yes. Yeah, Great. Sure. Great. My
1: email's on there. Just shoot me an email.
0: All right. So Go Dr. Right. Thomas Tavantes, thank you so much for coming on today. And again, um, if anyone has any questions, if you didn't for some reason get the uh, the website, I will have it on uh, my Twitter page, which is at NYC. So uh, thank every, thank you so much for coming so on and taking you, the time out. And I hope people got a lot out of this conversation. I, I know I did. And thank you all for listening. And uh, stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.